0: Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, Cersei, give me your elevator pitch on your service.
1: Certainly. So we're very proud to be one of the nation's top mortgage service providers in America. Last three years in a row, Mortgage Executive named us the top 50 service provider in America. We are what's called an AMC, appraisal management company. Uh, very quickly, uh, we do appraisals in every single county in America for 400 national lenders, 6,000 brokers, 75,000 appraisers, appraisals, uh, everything from... Uh, skyscrapers to hog farms I say on all the commercial deals plus residential multifamily for everybody so additionally though uh, we've expanded as a full provider so we're giving out uh, uh, everything that our clients need start to finish on the back end there so you're gonna need ancillary products flood surge TSA uh, T89's all that we got all that for you and we also have a full title and settlement division
0: damn question <laughs> drop the mic I'm done so, the, uh, I'm, let's say I'm in California, I'm a lender, right? And I'm gonna, I want to do this deal, and the deal's in Missouri, and it's on, a, as you say, a hog farm, which you know, happens all the time. Okay, so, and I, I don't have an appraiser in Missouri, and I don't know the area, I don't know anything, but I do want to do this deal. So the deal's calling my name, so I literally go to your site or call you, and what's the process, what happens, how fast, what are the rates, what are the fees, etc.?
1: Certainly. So we're a little different type of group. We're not about being a vendor. That's one thing I, w- I want to make clear. So you're not just going to come to my side. We're not going to just plug in to be a vendor. We want to know you. We want to be a partner. You heard throughout the day folks like John Horner talking about using Appraisal Nation and the key values of how the appraisal impacts your lending process. You heard RCN, uh, the great folks over there talk about how they've grown dramatically partnering with groups like us. So initially we want to get to know you Hmm. want to know what kind of deals you're doing because i actually work with my team and my sales force to train them more about your services and your products so we partner with six thousand brokers all over the country and i get more calls than you going i got a deal where can i take this to i got four hundred different lenders that are calling me every day saying can you do some referrals when those deals are coming into your pipe? And I want to know who to give it to, so I teach wow. my people that. So initially, we do a little setup form, we get to know you, we customize your profile, we look for what you're looking for. Uh, in many cases, if you're doing, like what RCM was talking about, non-owner-occupied, or if you're doing something like what you were discussing earlier, if you are doing owner-occupied, we're gonna to wanna to know that ahead of time, because we're gonna work with you. You can't be everywhere, you can't. You... So Leonard talked earlier today, and Leonard makes a great point. You could be that guy chasing one deal, Right, and you're great. You want to get this deal? You want to get this deal? That's (laughs) great. And you're focused on that deal that you lose sight of the vision of the type of reputation you're trying to build, the type of company you want to build, or you want to be that big boy. You want to be that national player. You want to be that guy who has a partner in the industry. We're your ears and your eyes on the ground. We're (laughs) going to back up your ass, et's, we're gonna back up your assets and make sure that that's safe for you. And so we're gonna work with you. We'll do things for you. We'll check your, you know, if it's owner occupied for you. We'll check your rehab list. We'll work with you to make you successful. We're all about the win-win. That's how we built our whole model because ultimately the more appraisals you do, the more we do. Let me ask you this.
0: So let's say I'm in uh, Los, <laughs> Los Angeles, right? And I have a local deal, I wanna get, I, I want to get it appraised, right? And I can call my local guy, the local ABC appraisal company, whatever. Is there benefit so reaching out to you wherever you are and having you contact somebody, is it cost me less so if I do that more than I do that? or what, what, What's the upside going through you versus ABC uh, appraisal company?
1: Certainly. So a couple of things. One, again, we're that partner. Okay, We're going to understand all the nuances that you're working with. Two, most appraisers in the country are designed for the traditional space. They're not going to know all the ins and outs of what you're trying to do. Our guys are. Hmm. We've trained them on it. We specialize in it. You see a lot of different lenders here today and different providers. You see only one appraisal company. There's several AMCs in America. There's only one, like us, who specialize in the private lending space. Hmm. So we teach these guys to get it right for you the first time. So if you wanna be successful, you need that good partner in that sense. You may, in some markets, it really just depends, a couple of urban markets, uh, you may be able to find Johnny Appraiser on the spot in that local county who might do it a little bit cheaper. Uh, you'll probably get a little less quality, but we're doing a bunch more stuff for you. Mm. We're also building a uniform system for you. We are a third party independent appraisal management company. Mm. That's a big difference in picking an appraiser. So when you go to sell your deals to someone else, they're going to want to make sure you have that backing in place. That You, you heard John Hornick earlier say, don't pick your own. Don't tell, trust the lender who says, here's my appraisal. I got my own appraiser, right? They're going to want you, when you're going to get securitized later as you're growing as an organization, want to make sure you have that third-party vetted organization. We're Morningstar rated. There's only two AMCs in America that are Morningstar rated, so uh, you're not going to get any better in that sense.
0: Well, let me ask you this. Okay, so you know, in the uh, before the bubble uh, burst, as it were, so... You heard a lot of stories of appraiser goes out, comes back with, "Okay, this property's worth three hundred grand," and the guy putting trying to put the deal together is like, Dude, "Come on, this has got to appraise for three fifty, man." You just, I mean, if it's not three fifty, I can't get this deal done. You know, can you can you just add a five zero there instead of the three? You know, like, can you do? So that happened. We're all aware of it. The question is: A, is it happening today? B, do do if it's not happening today, do you get those requests and what do you do? What do you say?
1: So there's, uh, again, I told you a moment ago, we're here to cover your ass, right? That's what we're going to do. We want to make you successful. There's two types of lenders in here, and you're going to have several of you. And there's some in here today. I know. I worked with so many people here, and I'm not disparaging any No, I met some at lunch. Right. Yeah, there's some, yeah, so, totally. so there's, some, there's yeah. some people who are trying to close that deal, <laughs> and that's all they care about that particular deal, come on John, the appraisal said it's 10000 less than the purchase we're trying to do, just can't you guys make some adjustments, what the hell, the appraisal sucked, it didn't come in, help me out here, right? We're not about that approach, right? We're about giving you a quality valued asset that you can lend upon, that your reputation that you heard others talk about today, which is critical, can stay intact. We're about giving you a quality valuation asset that you can then take into the next level of your growth. Whether you're securitizing, whether you're going to an investor, whether you're creating your fund that's going to have a great reputation. That's the kind of organization we're going to build. We're here to cover you and back your butt.
0: Hmm. All right, I got two more questions for you. Number one, best appraisal story, whether it's this hog farm we keep referring to or high rise in Miami or best crazy appraisal story ever. This, This is my second to last question.
1: Okay. Uh, Probably uh, (laughs) my good friend Kellen. Where's he hiding? He's usually in here. He's over there. Uh, Kellen uh, at Cache Private Capital, he's in here somewhere. Uh, He brings us all kinds of crazy deals all the time. So he calls me up one time and he's like, John. I got this deal I need your help with. We need to get an appraisal real quick. I said, what's, what's the story, Kelly? He's like, it's in Alabama. I said, okay, we, all 50 states, no, no problem. What you got? He's like, it's four cemeteries. We're doing four oh, cemeteries. Cemetery. You know, you got to understand, John, you got to understand. He says, listen, <laughs> listen, cemeteries are an emerging market. The boomers are coming into place. <laughs> okay. They're all dying emerging off. <laughs> they got to go somewhere, right? You got to get these cemeteries. So what can you do? We, you know, we being the industry experts, we know how to apply the, the models right. A lot of people don't do something like that, right? But we can apply the income approach on something like that, price out the lots, buy the acreage, do the whole deal, and price it out knock it out. And there's people selling them all day long. Seriously. Cemeteries. You're making some money on them.
0: Uh, I, actually, it looks like Mr. Joe Godin, a uh, great customer. for By the way, you were our first customer in Hawaii 10 years ago, for the record.
1: Uh, do you,
0: uh, you don't care. You have a question?
1: And, we do appraisals in Hawaii. Uh, I'm waiting to come out and do fine, some of yeah.
2: Now, do you, do you use people,
1: uh, do, do you come out to Hawaii and, 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 and run through all the process, or do you engage other people? to do it for you? Great question. So we spent the better part of a decade building a quality vetted AMC manual network that we're working with appraisers in every single county in America. We screen them, we vet them, we train them, we give them background checks, we're checking everything you're gonna need to know with your local guys in your local market. So we have 25,300 appraisers on our panel uh, who've been through that vetting process extensively and have worked with us annually through 70,000 files every year. Uh, They'll do it in what we call the field appraiser. In that local market, that local guy will do it based upon a ranking. We do a five scale ranking system, and so you put an order in our system. Once we do that little setup form I told you about earlier, then it's easy, you get a login, you go in our system, and anywhere in America, any type of deal, cemetery or whatever, you just put the address in, we got you covered. But I send out my local field guy based on the top five rating, term time, quality, revision rate, underwriting kickbacks, right? We rate them on every file. You're gonna get the best guy in your local market to do your deal. It's gonna come back to us, then we're gonna do a three-part QC process for you. That's not gonna happen either if you just go to Johnny on the spot locally. We're gonna have a team of in-house appraisers check it. We're gonna run it through a 1400-point automated search engine checking all of the USPAP compliance rules, and we're gonna run it through a Platinum Data RealView Analytics report that checks other comps, some 20 to 30 additional comps in the market. Mm. Our team of in-house appraisers are gonna make sure it makes sense, and we're gonna give you that as backup uh, reports too.
0: So that's your question, Joe.
1: Well, but do you do we're you using use the local guys? But we're checking in on our yeah, in our corporate office. Do you use local appraisers in Hawaii that you've trained? Is that what you're saying? Yes, sir. Local appraisals in every county in America. So if I happen to choose one of the people that you choose, uh, how, I mean, why couldn't I uh, survey the appraisers and find out somebody who's been trained? And that's and uh, very clever of you, and Joe. I see. I totally. <laughs> and this avoid is why paying you you, you could the sense, here's the other piece of that so on one end most of those appraisers are actually giving us a better deal than they're giving you cuz I'm bringing them the volume of 70,000 appraisals not mm-hmm. one deal so I'm bringing them volume, so they're giving me discount pricing that they're not going to give you that I then pass on to you as my client. How's that? On the second end, I'm giving you a team of in-house appraisers who are going to double-check it. On the third end, I'm now going to give you a back-end quality uh, AMC who's Morningstar rated for any of your future lenders you want to sell the note to who, when you heard John Hornig earlier say, if you bring him the deal, he's going to say no. If I bring them the deal or the appraisal as a third-party AMC, that you didn't get to pick yourself he knows it's hands off he knows it's clean he's going to say yes what kind of pricing do you have our average nationwide varies all over the market country it's based on market conditions uh but about 450 bucks on average conventional so there are certain markets a little cheaper obviously 450 uh, on average Sold. So, yeah. Joe, go see yeah. him later over there. <laughs> Hawaii, Hawaii markets are a little rural. Obviously, if it's a multi-million dollar property, if it's a waterfront property, those, those vary. Speaking of uh, waterfront
0: property, Joe, when, you, when I gave you a great smoking deal on the offer like 11 years ago, you had offered for me to be able to stay in your guest house anytime I come to Hawaii. i have not taken you up for it. Does the offer still stand?
1: He's walking away oh, from there. There
0: goes, you're off. All of a sudden, he's deaf. Yeah, all
1: of a sudden. He won't sudden. stop
0: talking, and then he has no idea what I just... Oh, there
1: goes our friend, Kelly. Okay, so anyway,
0: last question is, uh, if they need an appraiser or whatever, where's
1: your booth? Uh, what's the website, and how do they call you? Very simple, appraisalnation.com. Uh, Our booth is over there, and actually I'm very proud that our CEO is here today. He uh, stepped in, we do 45 conferences all over the country every year. Uh, Housing Wire named him uh, one of the top 40 leaders in America reshaping the American mortgage industry. So he's here with us today over there. So stop at our booth at Appraisal Nation there. Grab one of our chargers, grab one of our brochures. Uh, If you wanna work with us, we're gonna help you. Help me, if I may just say one other thing real quick, the best part about working with Appraisal Nation, beyond being helping you with the appraisals and all the other pieces, we're all about the co-marketing platform we have. We want to make you successful. You're gonna call me up, you're going to need to know, hey, what funders can I go to expand my portfolio? I know these funders and everywhere in America. You're going to call me up and go, where can I get new deals? Hey, can you tell your sales guys about my new product programs and rates in this market? And I'm going to be able to sell that to every single broker we work with. We are going to help you grow and become that national group that you want to be successful with.
0: Man, was he good or what? Yeah. Give it up John Tedesco. Right. That's fun. Uh, as I wait for Leonard, Josh Gordon's next. No, Jack Ford. Jeff Ford, come Jack. on up. Jack Ford. Joe. This, Joe oh, Ford, this is how prepared I am. Joe Ford, Joe come on up. Joe Ford, I'm so sorry. In the sorry. meantime, Joe, when I gave you a deal on our software 11 years ago, you and your wife, you offered that I could stay in your guest house in Hawaii if I ever came there, does the offer still stand?
3: But yeah, Joe, and a half years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but, Joe, but Joe Ford said... That you
0: can stay at his place. First question, Joe. By the way, nice meeting you.
2: Nice to meet you. Here's a microphone. Thank
0: you. Do you have a house in Hawaii, first of all?
2: I don't, but I don't want to talk about cemeteries. <laughs> I <laughs> oh do my not.
0: Okay, fair enough. Okay, so you and I have never met. We have not. Okay, so fair enough. Uh, first question is, how often do people come up to you and say, are you Brad Pitt?
2: Uh, about every other day. Every other day. Yeah. Okay, great.
0: Uh, Angelina Jolie, nice nice gal.
2: Yeah, yeah, she's a nice gal. Yeah. good box office draw good yeah very but good i like dreaming too me, joe, can you raise your
0: microphone, <laughs> yes is that right. better you. so you joe to... you yes. and i are in an elevator okay right we got right. 60 seconds to go hey how you doing? not your name and i say what do you do and you do what well
2: what? we own a company called ford properties and we buy necessary retail hmm. and we put our investors into it Rite aids taco bells walgreens Interesting. pay 10 percent quarterly to the investors hold them for four years we make them back whole. We make our money when we sell the assets. So
0: you're investing in properties versus loans. That's correct. I see. You, you hold the properties for four years, and then what happens?
2: We hold it for four years. We're a fund. This is our fourth fund. We also own privately multi-tenant centers. We've been in the real estate business for 25 years. So this is, would you deem this a real estate investment trust, a REIT? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's akin to that. And the mm. REIT, as you're well aware of, you can go into it and come out of it daily. Ours, you cannot do that. Uh, we pay 10 percent, as I said, comes from the rent roll, comes oh, off of that roll. quarterly. I see, and uh, it's a four-year hold, and when we sell it, we pick the upside up to uh, depreciation of the mortgage mm-hmm. and appreciation of the property.
0: I see, but across your various funds, 10 percent is what people are getting today.
2: 10 percent. That's correct.
0: Beats the stock market.
2: Uh, we think so, and and yeah. uh, just to take it one step further, what we put debt on it for four reasons. We'll buy a $5 million piece of property for $2 million of debt. We, one, it's asset protection. There's an accident on the property that have to pierce the mortgage and the LLC. Hmm. Two, we put it on to don't believe us, believe our bank. When, when the bank gives us a $2.5 million loan, they do the underwriting, yeah. and we keep the underwriting on for our, our investors to look at and look at all the related documents. Uh, three, we do it because when you get your 10% quarterly, and annually, it's tax-deferred because you're part of the ownership. Minimum $25,000. Mm. Mm.
0: That's and, nice. And
2: fourth, we do it because we can leverage the property. And right now, uh, about 25-year AM, 3.9% is what we're able to attain at 10-year AM. So we get a good leverage. We get asset protection. We get tax uh, deferral as a result of that. And we get uh, the underwriter for us and for our investors is the bank, is the lender. As after we do our due diligence, look to the lender because they do the same. So not only is this more stable and more solid
0: than what the stock market's doing these days, it's, it's way better than those casinos down the street, right? Well, it all depends who you're talking <laughs> Yeah, <to. so> yeah. <laughs> But yes,
2: in, in, in actuality it is.
0: Heck yeah. Okay, so then obviously your business doesn't exist unless you have investors, right? So if you've got this many funds, this much capital deployed, this much success with returns, then what's the, you know, everybody, everybody asks me, what's the secret, right? They always ask me what my secret is, you know, um, which I have no idea. But uh, for you, inv- raising investor capital, if that's part of the, well, your, your business, right? That's mm-hmm. part of what you do? Yes. What's the, what's the secret? Any bullet points?
2: Well, the secret, do you want to know the secret to raising the capital or what is our end game?
0: Let's do the raising capital because I think these guys are all, many people are already active lenders, but some people are just starting. Right. So what have you learned over the years? Raising capital.
2: Well, not because I'm at Pitbull Conference, but I was invited to Pitbull Conference in March. and When I heard Leonard and his speakers come up, that resonated because that's a song that we hear all the time. It's a song we play Hmm. and all the things that they advocate. That's why I'm here today as a sponsor. Hmm. and By virtue of that, he talks about starting a fund and stepping up to the big boy shoes, which that fund ultimately, whatever business you're in, if it's done right, it will become your main business. So by virtue of that, that's why it's important to do that, and your goal would be to raise the fund is to increase your equity pool of investors, increase your synergy. Now, the raising of the capital is to have a product that people feel safe in, and that you're credible, and that can make the phone ring, and you can be clear and concise as to what it is and how you're going to protect those investors. When you have those elements, and you can articulate it, show them how they're going to be paid back and how their money's safe, they then also refer because as mm-hmm. you know as humans yeah, yeah, we yeah, yeah. like to brag to our friends so they refer and that's how it gets going
0: ah okay so then that's kind of what I was talking about a little bit earlier which was the warm blanket right like the investors want a warm blanket they that's want to correct. feel safe all kids want to feel safe then when you tuck them into bed at night and you give them a little kiss on the forehead right mm-hmm. the kids feel safe that's right right so so is, tell tell me some of the things that makes your investors feel safe because they, they, they're gonna get their money back, they're gonna make these returns, you've got a great solid track record. What are some of the things you do with investors to make them feel safe
2: on some of the things you just said? Um, Leonard talked about it before, when you're talking with investors, it's not something to where you can just approach them. You no. have to show certain elements as a result of that. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of touches that go on. But first of which is that you have to establish when you're talking to investors, who are you? Can I trust you? What is your background? That's why it's important when we put our documents on a Dropbox, you can go in and review that. That's one of the things that give them safe and warm. They need to know background about you. They need to know that you can do what you say. And er- earlier today, we are talking about people to, to stick to the niche that you know. And that, that's an important point. But what re- I have found what makes what our opposition, when we sit with vend- uh, investors by the third time, they say to us, I'm unclear on you can pay 10%, so something's wrong. Mm. It's too that's good a to be great true. Question. If it's too good to be true, it is. That's right. a great question. Okay, that's a good question. The first question. And we have a three-minute video that we put together. It's, a, it's an artist video because I can talk to an investor for 15 minutes and their eyes glaze over. Sometimes you'll use a terminology they don't understand, and their mind will move on. So we created a three-minute uh, sketch video. If you get time, stop by and see it. And it explains mathematically what we do and how we take you through the system. So when we explain to them that the 10% comes right off the rent roll and it's a national tenant, like Walgreens has 8,600 stores. They own none of the stores. Mm. They don't want to own those stores. They sell it to investors. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I
0: guess uh, on that note, you know, very few McDonald's close. Right, they open correct. up, they don't close. That's Is correct. Walgreens the same? And would you find a lot of these business, established businesses the same?
2: Well, that's why we like the, we. my family and I, we own triple net, pro, or excuse me, double net properties where we have nail salons, DeVitas, uh, we have to fix the roofs and so forth and so on. It's a great business and we've cut our teeth on that business. Triple net property means you're really buying a credit tenant With no landlord responsibilities don't ever call us you can call and say hello but don't call (laughs) us in a cloud of snow we're not going to do any of that so what happens is that you are betting on if walgreens for example one or two of their stores close and they close about three percent yearly through market shifts Mm. they will not repudiate your lease meaning they won't reject your lease they'd have to close them all Hmm. so they'll have the right to sub-tenant it and there's a series of things goes on so that's the security relative to an investor they want to know who are you, how safe is my money, how do I get my money back? And so if you can answer those three fundamental questions, you will find success in raising the money. That's been, that's been our, well, that's good. our experience. Let me pause you there. Yes, sir, what's your
0: name and what's your question?
4: Um, my name is Martin, here's my question. I have a few questions, actually. Um, how much percent do you leverage your property? Say you buy a $5 million property that has an NOI of 350000 at a seven cap, right? What percentage do you leverage the property?
2: The question is, is how much leverage do we put on the property? We try to put about 60% of leverage on the property. It would be predicated on its location. It would be predicated on what the length of the lease is and where uh, the type of tenant it is. Is it, is it rated B on the stock market?
4: Okay, and what do you give investors? The 10% is the preferred return? Do you give them, say, say you, you do a $5 million deal, you have uh, $3 million that you put in debt, you have $2 million that you raise. Do you give them uh, equity? How does it work at a refinance or sale? Is the 10% the preferred and you keep everything else? How, how, do you do, how do you do that?
2: So the question falls into two categories. A, are you given 10% where it's 10% and when you sell the asset, do I get any more? That type of fund is no. you get 10%. Door number B is that if you want to do a, what's called a preferred share, you can get 7% and then have what's called a clawback. When we sell the asset, we would split the proceeds 70-30. Several investors will say, I don't want to do that. I'd rather get my 10%. Other folks will say, I want to participate because I could even get more money. So that's the answer to both when of those questions. When do they get the money back? Four years. In the 48th month from that, we will notify you. Six months out, we send a, a letter. We talked another thing Leonard talked about. We talked to our investors all the time. So we'll, we'll tell you that a sale is forthcoming. It takes us about four months to sell the asset. Today, it's, they sell very fast because they're very difficult to get. It's called a flight to safety with these types of properties. So an answer to your question is that what occurs is that in the 48th month, we sell, we'll notify you up front if you have any tax planning to do. And a lot of our investors, about seven out of 10, just roll into another fund with us.
4: And what happens if you do refinance in the middle? You're able to somehow refinance the property. You, you, you prolonged the lease, you added the value to the property, you're able to refinance. You have $3 million of debt, you're able to pull out $6 million. What happens then?
2: We're not, we wouldn't really refinance it because it costs us about nine points going in to close the property. So we're doing a $5 why, million. Why is that? Well, we do a $5 million acquisition. By the time you go through loan origination fee, brokers, commissions, uh, so forth and so on. So it's only on, if we've got, uh, we just did a deal now where we've got a 25-year and 4%, it's fixed for 10 years, we wouldn't refinance it. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense. It okay. just costs the fund money, which ultimately would cost us to sponsor more money.
4: So at 7%, you're at a 70-30 split. At 10%, it's straight 10%. got back the money after four years. What happens if you can't sell?
2: If you can't sell? Generally, if you can't sell these assets, there's a couple of things going on. The market, the the lending's been now elevated past what the cap rate is. If we can't sell, the short answer is, you'll sit tight in the fund until we can sell.
4: And you still get your 10%?
2: You always get your 10%. Uh, and from our standpoint, we've held properties past another year because we don't feel the timing's right. When we feel the timing's right, remember, we get paid when, it, when, we, when we sell the asset, but your rent rule's not interrupted. Mm.
4: Interesting. Now, what happens if uh, you can't sell, the lease expires, say it's a Burger King, and they decide to shut down the location, what happens then?
2: Well, we, we, w- we don't want franchises, we want, we want what's called roll-up. So we want the franchiser to roll up right to the franchisor. And if they close, then they have, to, they have the rights to sublet that. Or they, they'd have to repudiate all their stores to close and not pay us rent. They can close, but then they have an obligation in the lease within six months. They have to re-tenant the property. We want the property And re-tenanted. if they don't? Pardon me? If they don't? Well, if they don't, then we would go through a process. We would take action against the corporate store. Hasn't happened. Could happen. But normally, what, what happens would happen to an
4: investor at that time?
2: The investor stays whole. The best but let's take worst case scenario. If say you, you choose Burger, which we wouldn't do Burger King, or, or we don't do. Um, Can you do it your property? Because I like that. No, we don't do. We don't do I'm restaurants because really restaurants stuff. beat your property up. So and they pay the same dollar that a uh-huh. divita would pay. So the short answer, if it became Armageddon and they decided, let's just say for example that the chain bank went bankrupt, Burger King, and the place went dark and the, what would happen would be no rent income so the investor would not get, a, would get their payments until we sold the property, or re, we would re-tenant it ourselves. One of our strengths is that we own multi-tenant centers, so we develop and we know how to, uh, how to re-tenant uh, properties.
4: Good questions. Which area do you, do you specialize in? Which areas do you know well?
2: Whatever's the best cap rate. The exception of Michigan. We don't so go to Michigan. So what cap rates <laughs> do you look for?
4: I, <laughs> I always tell brokers I look for 10 caps and what value at. what cap rates do you look for?
0: I'm and gonna pause the
2: right there just so we
0: um, can move on, but where is your booth first off?
2: Right straight back. Straight back, before so investment. any additional
0: questions, go by the booth ask them. I have two more questions. Yes. Um, one of the questions you brought up was uh, tar- uh, 10% return, that's it, and 7% and then you split the whatever. So that's typical of, of mortgage funds where somebody might be having a targeted 8% return and then they do what we call a Christmas bonus. If they haven't distributed excess profits throughout the year, then just before just January, you know, December 31st, they'll say, okay, Merry Christmas everybody. Here's your proportional piece of the excess funds we held back throughout the year. It makes them feel good, good for tax purposes, so it's a fair question about that. Uh, Two more questions. Did you see my speech earlier, and how was I? I did, good. Great. Did you want to expand on that? That's fantastic. No, you're a smart guy. I expect your opinion. Uh, And second of all, okay, so if people want to invest with you, learn about what you do, uh, tell us the website, phone number, how to get in touch with you.
2: Well, the phone number is, we're in Stewart, Florida, 772 area code 781-2526, and the best is Ford Investment Properties. As I indicated, there's a little three-minute video on there, and I thank you so much for taking the time. This was fun. I like doing this.
0: Hey, you did a good job. You're smart. Go for it, everybody. Leonard Rosen.
3: Joe, Joe, that was amazing. First of all, I learned a ton. You're a class guy. A very, very, very astute, knowledgeable. I learned a lot. Thank you so much. Ford Investment, properties.com, properties.com. Make sure you check out Joe Ford. Thank you so much, You're a big hand. This is the first event that we've actually done where we're doing these, one, we did one, one one-on-one in Florida with uh, Appraisal Nation, and we liked it so much as, oh, well, let's, you know, let's expand on it. Do you like the one-on-one deal? It's quick, it's easy, it's boom, boom 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 All right, here we go. Uh, Tedesco is amazing. <laughs> J- Joe Ford is amazing. That was great. A highlight on my day. Here we go. A rich man digs for gold while a poor man is concerned with the price of the shovel. Okay, that holds true for you know pretty much anything. The poor man can always find a reason why not to do something while the rich man is always digging for gold. I use this phrase in my office, I use it in my life. I think this is a, a money comment. The way you communicate thoughts, ideas, and concepts do matter. That matters in terms of raising capital. Matters in terms of how you react with your, interact with your borrowers, how you act with your investors. Words matter, and the way those words are communicated matter. Okay, everyone is selling something to somebody all day. Okay, that's just a fact. I had. I, was, I had lunch with my wife and uh, Brett and, and Julie and we were talking and so forth and, and somebody came along and said, uh, I didn't get a hall pass to go to this event so I better get back quick or something to that effect. Everyone sells something. You sell, you're selling on the, the concept to your wife that you're going to Vegas for a conference. You're, 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 everyone's selling something to somebody john hornick and uh and, and uh, tash and a number of a number of the big guys were standing in line at the buffet and i said wait a minute my guys don't stand in line at the buffet and i went to the buffet and I says hey listen you know who i am i'm leonard rosen i'm putting on this conference here these are my vips they need to get in right now not like you have it cordoned off. No, no. They need to get in right now. And I and I'm asking for your help. Boom! Done. Price is what the customer pays, but value is what they're buying. Say it. Boom. Price is what the <laughs> price is what the customer pays, but value is what they're buying. Well, we said the boom once. Okay, yeah. if you over-boom, it doesn't work. All right, but think about that for just a for just a moment. Forget. I, I talked to uh, um, a, a a group out of Miami that were talking about doing a real estate deal, and I had this uh, conference call with Hornick, John Hornick, and I, and this group. And they said, we can't charge more than 10% in the Miami market. We can't do it. I said, well, you can't charge your borrowers 10% and expect to make a profit and give your investors nine, what, 1%? You might as well just broker a deal. I don't understand. We can't charge 10%. I said, wait a second, wait a second. Prices price isn't what they're buying. Value is what they're buying, they, they don't get it. We've had two or three conversations since, since that time. Look, what are they buying? They're, they're, they're buying your word that you're actually going to close. How much value does that have? Has tons of value, right ladies? Has tons of value. They may buy the efficiency in closing and the speed of the closing, that has value. Returning phone calls, emails, communication, that has value. All of those things are value-added that would allow you to charge more. And guess what? You don't have to do every deal. Do your, just do the great deals. Do the, do the deals that people are loyal to you that know that you're real and that you make things happen. That's, that's my take on it. We don't have a sales problem in our economy. We have a follow-up problem. And that is... My mantra, how many times that you talk to maybe an investor, oh, Mr. Investor, or you talk to a borrower, you're working on this deal, and for whatever reason, somebody drops the ball on it. It, it, Well, you know, it didn't sound great at the very beginning. Well, you know, sometimes deals don't sound great at the beginning, but you work the deal, you find it, you work it, you tweak it, you do this, you do that. Following up until its conclusion is the key follow up. It's not a sales problem. It's a communication and follow-up problem. I'm just shocked at how many people, probably not in this room because you guys are top level guys, but how many people, your competitors, just think, your competitor doesn't follow up on the investor. Your competitor doesn't follow up with the borrower. Your competitor doesn't follow up with the appraisal guy, with the title and escrow guy, whatever it may be. It's all about follow-up. Stay on top of every file. Stay on the top of every investor. Stay on top with every single person that you do business. Follow up, follow up, follow up. I don't get it. It's so simple. It's so simple. Sales to Texas. Forty eight percent of salespeople never follow up with a prospect. Four, so almost half the people never follow up. Twenty-five percent of salespeople make a second contact and then stop. Twelve percent of salespeople only make three contacts. Only ten percent of salespeople make more than three contacts. Now, two percent of sales are made on the first contact. So everybody cherry picks, and you get two percent. Three percent after the second. Five percent after the third. Ten percent after the fourth. That eighty percent of sales are made on the fifth to twelfth contact. The fifth to twelfth contact. If you put that into perspective, how many deals did you not do because you, like, gave up on it? Oh, I called them once. Oh, I, I called them a couple times. Call? You hunt them down like the dog he is. <laughs> right? I mean, we have, a, we, have a, we have a saying in our office. We call until they buy or die. Creating a digital shadow for your business. What does that mean? Look, years ago, I mean, I come from the old school. We used to do deals on a, on a, uh, uh, a handkerchief at the deli in the morning. Okay, that's our understanding, 10%? Okay, well, you know what? Those days are kind of over because your competitors are much more sophisticated than that. You have to do business in a different manner today. It's, it's just, that's just what it means. and. We live in a technological age and when Al Gore and I created the internet, <laughs> we had no idea of the exposure and the success of it. Regardless whether you are a broker, investor or a lender, the common denominator is the phone needs to ring. Agreed? Phone's got to ring, baby. You can't sell appraisals unless somebody calls. You can't sell an investment with Joe Ford unless investor calls. You, 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 can't buy, you can't sell software until somebody calls, or you call them, but the phone has to ring. So if we use that as our basic concept, that the phone has to ring, then the rest of this will start to make sense. You cannot exist as a company today without marketing, even if it's only a website. What does marketing mean? Marketing means, it's not sales, there's a difference between marketing and sales. Marketing means is that you're communicating an idea, you're communicating a thought with the idea that an impending event is going to happen, right? An impending event is going to happen. That's what marketing is. Sales is something else. Sales is then converting that marketing efforts into an actual, uh, through an actual sale. Be sure to consider, Be sure to consider multiple ways to gain exposure. All I right, am afraid to ask this question, but I'm asking it anyway. If you receive more than one email from me, raise your hand. All right, okay, I'm not afraid to market. And we're gonna talk about emails for just a moment. We used to have the, the 10 most common things that people said at a Pitbull conference. And number one was, I received 978 emails for, for this event. How many did you get? But I say that kiddingly. But you have to market. You have to market in a way where it kind of makes people laugh Make it different than, than other people? How many of you get these stupid, oh, I shouldn't say stupid, because some of you may be sending these out. Just close this deal, blah, blah, blah. Close this, blah, blah, blah. blah. Well, who cares? What, what, what are you going to do for me? Right? When you get an email or you get a call, it's always what's in it for me. Otherwise, don't call me. I have other things to do. So, we believe that email marketing is the most effective, most powerful form of communication. What other way, think of this. I have 1.4, Dr. Evil, I have 1.4 million contacts in our database. 1.4 million of my closest friends. And we send out email campaign. Why is it that every event we do, is completely sold out. I mean, we're just discussing, we don't want to come back to the end because they don't have a room big enough. We had to stop selling sponsors and seats because there's no room. We have no room. What a great problem to have. It's all through email marketing. This idea, advertise here, advertise there. Look, how about this? I'm at my desk and I want to send out 100,000 emails with a really great looking concept, great looking ad. Just think about this. I send it out and in a matter of a few seconds, it's on your desktop, it's on your phone, it's on your mobile device in a matter of seconds. In a matter of seconds, I've communicated that concept, I've communicated that information to you. I mean, that's powerful stuff. We live in a different world today. We have to understand that, and so what we used to do way back when, you know, even like, you know, five, six, seven years ago, it's it's changed. So we have to move with that. I mean, we helped somebody raise 8.2 million dollars on four email campaigns. Sent it out, sent it out, sent it out. Somebody finally got it. Responded back. 8.2 million dollar investment off of an email of somebody we've never met. How many people received an email from me and spent $1,000 to come here today? Raise your hand. Okay? Was it worth it? Well, oh, I mean, so far. It's easy. Puts a qualification on it. <laughs> <laughs> the new rule of marketing is it used to be go find your customers. Now it's have the customers find you. And why did we bring that up? We bring that up because creating a digital shadow means you must have a powerful website. You must understand the power of email. You must begin to build and create your database. And we'll talk about social media in just a second. The most important asset you have is your website. That is the most important asset. It used to be you put up a site, it was a one-page site, It was something that your wife looked at, saw your picture, oh honey, that looks really good and so forth, and you get maybe six hits a day, two from Bangladesh, one from uh, India, and one from your mother, and one from your neighbor down the street that you give the uh, the website address. Come on, everybody knows what I'm talking about. How would you like to have thousands of people visit your website every day, thousands? Well, I'm going to show you how you do it, and I'm talking about people in our industry your website must be constructed to talk to both the search engine and the visitor. When you put images up, the full image, you have to have content behind the image. You ever go on a website and you hover over an image and, you, and you'll see text there? That means that somebody did something right. You hover over image, there's no text there. The search engines cannot read it. Example of websites that we've done. Right? There's our website. I think our website is the most powerful website in the private lending business. There's Sam. Nobody calls me just to say hello. Here's PNE Capital. We just finished the website. It's a great website. There's Insula Capital. These are all people that have done funds with us. Sky Equity Esses out of New York. We did his site, Jem, uh, real estate partners out of Ohio, we did their site. Did, all these people did real estate funds with us and we create, their, um, we create their website presence. Understanding the power of search engines, very, very important. There's Bing, AOL, Ask, Google, blah, 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 blah. But you need to get this that the primary search engine is Google. Nobody ever said in the history of the world, "Yahoo (laughs) it, right? Nobody ever said, ask it. Nobody ever said that. It hasn't happened yet. Google is the deal. That is the deal. And the best place to hide a dead body is on page two of Google search results because 93% of people who are searching for something either find it on the first page or they move on. Only 7% go to the second page of Google. Okay, so being on the first page of Google is huge. The problem is, or the challenge is, is that you'll get a lot of people who go to Google that don't necessarily, it may not be the best prospect. Where if you have an email database, that's a way better prospect. That's somebody you've had contact with, they've gone to your site, they they actually opted into your site, and so forth. So it's a different kind of a prospect. Social media is a trap. It's a trap. I'm gonna just tell you right now, this is my thing, it's a trap. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. You know, blah, blah, blah. The only social media that we've seen any kind of results from and I, is LinkedIn. I have 20,500 followers on LinkedIn. And we've seen some traction, but if we take a look at the amount of time and money that we've spent on LinkedIn versus the return, and there are some people here, that came from uh, that came from uh, LinkedIn and that's cool but that but but the ROI is so low versus I have all these man hours of, of one of my gals doing all the social media blah blah and LinkedIn and posting uh, you know a rich man digs for gold blah, 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 national harmony conference okay we do all that okay versus just send them an email and then and then they come to our event. I mean, it's just so simple. It's, so social media, we're taught to believe, oh, you have to have this, and social media, and you have to have that. And there are some retail kinds of businesses that that's effective and that works. But in terms of our industry, and I know that some people will disagree and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just telling you what my experience is and maybe you can learn from that. If you agree that social media is a trap, and what I mean by that is a trap is I'm talking about return on investment. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you don't get likes. Everybody wants to get a like. That validates that you're real. And that people love you and like you, respect you. Yeah, but that doesn't put money in your pocket. That doesn't build your business, right? That really doesn't. I mean, I have thousands of people on our Pitbull Conference Facebook page. I put some up, I get two likes and no return in terms, of, in terms of dollars. So I think social media is a trap. Social media is designed to stimulate interest to drive back to your website. So many people think that social media is where I'm going to sell on social media. It just doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. These are the players, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter. Google Plus look use your social media on your website that's fine and then you can you know you can put messages and comments and so forth but they've been to your website now you're just giving them real time information that's okay but i wouldn't use it to like try to build your business and i think that's where there's a lot of people that make the mistake. The journey of email marketing is an extraordinary journey. Email marketing is the most powerful form of communication. Now, there's one form that's even more powerful than this. Does anybody know what that is? Think about marketing. All right, okay, I'll give you that, but all right. Pardon me? Yeah, telephone call, but let's say we're, we're dealing in Groups were groups. Text. Ah, excuse me. Text. SMS text. What? SMS text messages. We did our first one. We did a, I think we only sent out like 3,000 to cell phone numbers. Did anybody get the text message that we sent out for this event? You got it. Did you buy from it? You bought from it. Did you buy from it? Pardon me. Oh, good reminder. Who else? Anybody over here? Okay, here's what we found out with test mes- text messages. It's very invasive. It's one thing to get an email, but when you text message somebody on their cell phone, a personal text message, it's very invasive. Leonard, please stop. Leonard, please unsubscribe me from this. And, and I take that to heart, and, I don't, and we're not gonna do it anymore. Oh, well, good for you too, Sam. But I'm just saying that Uh, It's more evasive where an email is more acceptable email marketing people have asked me through all the years That we've been doing this conference. I don't do print advertising I don't do anything other than build my database Think look think about this for a second the average person here spends a thousand bucks to come here Off of an email off of a damn email. Now you may have to send out several emails and and and, and communicate the message in different ways, that's okay. I mean, that's fine, but from email marketing, it's not evasive people, if they don't like it, they can opt out, no problem. I don't want to send an email to somebody who doesn't want to receive one, right? But it is the most powerful form of marketing. So if you have email, if, if you want to reach out to if you want to reach out to brokers or lenders or investors, I mean we have the email. It's real simple. It's fifty cents an email. You can buy it for fifty cents an email, or we'll deploy it for a buck per name, per contact. Real simple. Not here to sell it, just just bring it up. But if you do want to buy it, Brett's right over there. Okay. Email marketing, your contact data is important, your subject line rules, View, visual images, stimulate imagination, and the a call to action. Now we've done some pretty crazy emails. We did one email with a, uh, 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 what was it? Uh, um, uh, who's the guy in Korea? Kim Jong-un. Kim, Kim Jong-un. It says Kim Jong-un, banned from conference. <laughs> and we had a picture of him. He will not be at our conference. He's banned. We want everybody to know that. Not like he has to be there. Okay, I mean, we got a lot of activity. Another one that we did was um, um, Beware of This Lender, is the subject line. It's something like, you know, big kind of a Burly guy smoking a cigar. You know the guy, the guy that doesn't return your phone calls, that promises the deal's gonna close, it never gets close. You follow me? People love gossip, right? They do. It, we understand it. So we have a whole email system in terms of creating visual images. These emails that we all get. ABC Lending just closed the deal on this and our rates are this. I cannot delete that email fast enough. It did not grab my imagination. It did not stimulate my appetite for doing business with this company and it was just plain boring. That's so 1990s. Come on, let's get with the program here. Let's get on the Mr. Leonard program. Here's some of the stuff we did. The Most Interesting Man at Hard Money. We ran that for a while. <laughs> I don't know how much business we did with it, but I sure had a lot of fun with it. Uh, Pick Bull Takes Atlantic City, Feeling Intimidated, Did You Know. So we've done, some, we've done some crazy stuff. Let me tell you about the failure one that we did, the biggest failure we did. I hired a guy named Reggie. Reggie. I won't... Reggie is a Obama impersonator. And I'm telling you, he's good. We took it out of our, do we still have it? I don't have it here. Could you get it up? I don't have it here. Okay, so Reggie is an Obama impersonator. And he's pretty darn good. And he went up and, and he did this thing, uh, you know, with uh, the flags and the President of the United States on the podium and so forth. And, Hello, I want to you know, tell you what my new financial czar, Leonard Rosen. Leonard Rosen has an event coming up, And I actually had people, and I sent this out in an email. I wouldn't come to your event, Obama, that son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was the, it was the biggest disaster we ever had. But I'll tell you what it did. I'll tell you what it did. It reminded me that people do see those emails. You know what, it reminded me. I don't think Obama's a bad guy, but I'm just saying, you know, my market is probably not Obama. It's probably more to the right. That's, you know, what I learned from it. Way more to the right. (laughs) Who gets into a frickin' argument with the Pope? I mean, really? Okay, anyways. Build your database. If you have two names on, by next week, have 10 names on. If you have 100, get 150 names. And start communicating with your community. Remember, I've been at this a long time. So our database is huge. But I started from nothing. And I built it. And I learned. And I learned how to do it. Look, the subject line is imperative. The visual image is imperative. If you've got, are you ready for this? You've got two seconds once they open that email to grab their imagination. Two, two seconds. You have about a half a second to grab them on the subject line. So you have got to have your ducks in a row when you send out an email. but we can do all that for you, just saying, but I'm saying that's, you know, those are realities. Now, what I'm trying to get at is that it is really, really powerful to use email campaigns for your marketing. Think about this. I had somebody at, not the Florida that we did, what did we do before this Florida event? We did two Florida events back to back? Anyways, I don't remember what it was. But, and, and, and I said, do you believe that email marketing is important? And the guy stood up and said, ah, email, that doesn't work. I said, uh, oh, okay. How'd you find out about this event? Uh, uh, He said, excuse me? I said, how'd you find out about this event? Uh, Well, I got an email. (laughs) Oh, okay. So uh, evidently it does work. So we have a full marketing department that we can help you with if you're looking for investors and lenders or power or whatever it may be, or even better yet, create your own database. That's just huge. Create your database. Understand that this whole room, it all started off with an email campaign. That's how it started off. My very first event, I had two people. I had two people. My wife said, "Uh, where are you going? I go. I'm gonna. Do no, no, no. Where are you going? I'll be back in a couple hours. No, no. What do you mean? I said. Well, I got a couple of guys. They're going to pay me $395 to sit with them for you know two or three hours and explain. This is years and years ago. I said. You know what? I kind of like this. And I was in the television business. I was an anchor on the financial news network for many years. Hosted the Letter Rosen show. Blah blah blah. And I really liked the idea of teaching educating and being part of the private lending sector and you know being that guy next event we did we had 38 people 16 of them were comped we did it in Los Angeles I said oh okay all right I'm starting to get it and next event we had 80 then 150 then 180 then 200 and it just kind of went on and on and on so my point is you have to start someplace right you have to start someplace but the common denominator is from the very beginning Until right now, email campaigns. I develop all of these relationships. RCN, Mortgage Office, A-List, Sam Cohn, everybody here, Ford Investment Properties from an email campaign. Now, Joe's speaking at my event. AJ's an integral part of it. You see how, that, see how it goes, you devi- it's, a, it, it's an opportunity to create and strengthen your circles. Any questions? We're good? Okay, yeah, you go with the mic then. Oh, it's not that important? What's your question? Do you do anything in the market of
0: landing pages or driving people from other parts of the, the internet?
3: <clears throat> the landing page should always be the home page of your website. I've seen guys say, oh, we're going to create a dedicated landing page." Well, so Why? The, the whole idea is to position your company, position your website, and position your message to your community. So I'm not into that. Creating landing pages to me, is like going to a pitch and sell event, right? You pay nothing to go there and you spend six hours having somebody tell you that, go to the back room because we've got a special today and it's only $2,000, you know what I mean? So that's the kind of the difference. I'm talking about really building a business. If you start now to build your database and you start to understand and use some of these principles, two years from now, two short years, 24 months, less than the, less than the time that most people lease a car, You can have a database with a significant number of people of of people who are like-minded who are following your message. I mean, that's the deal. All right. Joel Block is one of the best speakers ever. Now, I say that about everybody, but I say that. Well, I mean, I do. Because Joel wears the best ties of anybody. Joel wears his crazy ties. But Joel's one of the best speakers. If he wasn't, he wouldn't be invited back event after event. I mean, that's just kind of the deal. You look up Joel Block online, there's nothing but rave reviews all the way down the line. Joel is the real deal. Please give us a warm welcome for Mr. Joel Block. <laughs>
5: Nice to be here, thank you very much. I've been in the uh, venture capital and the fund business for almost 30 years. And listening to Leonard talk about building funds, stop hustling gigs, setting up businesses, uh, I'm all about that. I've been, uh, I've been a principal in close to 40 deals and sold on one of my own transactions to a Fortune 500 company. So I've been around the entrepreneurial business, but my favorite structure is always syndications, funds, etc. So the only reason somebody wouldn't do a fund is maybe they worry that they can't raise the money. How many people have funds here? A few people? How many are in the process of either building one or getting ready to build one? Raise your hand. Oh, perfect. The hardest part of raising a fund is the money. I mean, is that a concern? I mean, I mean, that's usually the one thing that kind of slows people down, because otherwise, this is the most spectacular business. Leonard this morning mentioned it costs a couple hundred thousand dollars to buy a Subway, a franchise, you put the money up, and when you close the transaction, you get that money back the couple hundred thousand? No, now you gotta work for 10 years to make that money come back. But when you build your fund, the money you pay the attorneys and whoever else, you get reimbursed that on the day you open your fund. I mean, there's nothing like this business, it's a great business. And the rules for the last 80 years have been very unfriendly to entrepreneurs. We're probably lucky to have any rules that work for us because in general the government doesn't really support entrepreneurs. Anybody feel that's true? So, in 2012 they passed the Jobs Act. And shortly after that, they started implementing the provisions of the JOBS Act. And the JOBS Act is the biggest revision of the securities rules in the last 80 years. And I wanna just give you a little sense about how critical this is, because it affects every one of you who raised your hands. If you wanna be in this business, and I'm gonna tell you, I've been in this for 30 years, it's the greatest business in the world. And if you're not in this business, you're missing out on something awesome. And you're here to learn about being in this business. And if you unfortunately don't go into this business, then you really are missing out on something that's awesome. So I want to introduce a concept that's based on the rules of the JOBS Act. And it's called Investor Valet, InvestorValet.com. I'm not gonna sell anything and it's not really even available for sale, there's nothing to buy and it's not even appropriate for everyone. But there are certain people in this room that are gonna hear what I say and they're gonna understand it because they're gonna read between the lines. And you might not sleep tonight when you understand what's out there and what's possible. Other people won't have any idea what I just said. And that's normal. So in 2012, the government passes the JOBS Act and they start implementing, there were three major provisions of the JOBS Act The first one was implemented in September of 2013. And that basically said that people like us, small fund managers, and all of us are small for the most part, under $50 million or so, most of us operate in that smaller area, that we could now advertise for leads. So what everybody calls crowdfunding, take the word crowdfunding off the table for a second. Because there's three kinds of crowdfunding. Two is what people have heard of. The third one's no one heard of. The first one is GoFundMe. Grandma died, nobody has money for a funeral, people make donations. Not much different than giving money to the church, except for there's no tax deduction. The second one is Kickstarter. Now Kickstarter, somebody comes up with a little trinket and they don't have any money, so they try to get some money. And the way they want to do it is they want to do pre-sales. They're gonna try and sell a whole bunch of these things before they ever make it. But that's illegal in the United States. You're not allowed to pre-sell anything because the government protects consumers and they don't want consumers to take a risk. So they've come up with this concept called donation and reward. And what that means is, listen, you donate $20 to me and when I make this thing, I will give you a reward of the little product. Kind of a little workaround they did. The big one, the granddaddy of mall, all is called investment crowdfunding and that's where we operate. That's where you all operate. That's where people give you money expecting to get their money back plus more. Follow that? Their money back plus more, that's what they expect. That's investment, that's securities. Now people have heard of this kind of crowdfunding and let's just call it, instead of calling it crowdfunding, just for, whenever you hear me say that, think of the word lead generation because crowdfunding is the biggest lead generation opportunity that's ever been put forward for guys that are in our business. It's incredible because it's the power of the internet, it's the power of databases, it's the power of email, it's everything great that we're good at that none of us could ever do before. And the big problem was that all of us would go out into the marketplace, we'd talk to our 15 friends, we'd collect the first million dollars, whatever the number was, and then you run out of leads. It's not that it's that hard to close the money. Getting people to say yes isn't that bad if you've got a compelling argument, you've got a good track record, you can demonstrate that you're good at what you do. But finding leads, that's hard. Especially in a world where you're not allowed to advertise. So here's what happens. So uh, I picked some guy, what's your name? Colton, perfect. So uh, Colton, I've got a fund. I've been running this fund for a while. I'd like to uh, ask you to have a look at we're it. We're golfing buddies, we smoke cigars together, we have fun together, do whatever we do. Uh, would you like to look at my new deal? And you say, of course, I'd love to look at it. I know your guys are making some dough, I'd like to participate, so let me have a look at it. So he takes the private placement, he reviews it, a couple days later, he calls me up and he says, Joel, this is pretty good, I like it. In fact, I've got a couple buddies I'd like to show this to would you mind? Is there anybody here that would say no? Do you mind if I pass your deal along for a few of my friends? You know, we all say yes. We'd appreciate it very much. That's, uh, that's the greatest gift anybody could give you as a referral, right? So you make a little list of two, three, four guys. And then you realize, oh man, you won't believe this. I'm getting on an airplane first thing in the morning. I don't have time to work on this. So I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. Instead of, instead of sending out a handful of personal emails, I'm just gonna put it on Facebook or show it to all my friends and, let everybody have a look at it real fast because I don't have time to do it any different than that. And through no fault of mine, and you didn't do anything on purpose either by the way, my offering under the old rules is now contaminated because there's been general solicitation. There's been an offering made to the public and because it's not properly registered for that sort of thing, I now can't run my offering anymore. You didn't do it on purpose and it was unfair to me. So the government took a hard look at that and they said, you know, maybe that's not fair. Maybe it's not possible to keep private placements private anymore. Maybe we need to rethink the rules. Maybe keeping the private placement private isn't really the goal. Maybe the goal is bringing the right people into the deal. So they changed the rules and they said, look, it doesn't matter who sees it. What matters who comes in. So we syndicators, and syndicators in my world is anybody who's a fund manager, developers, operators, syndicators, lenders, anybody running a fund, anybody who's responsible for other people's money the way that we're talking about doing that, we now can advertise. We can stand on the table and yell in a restaurant, we can drop leaflets out of an airplane, TV commercials, you do whatever you want. So how's it working out? Well, I'd say it's probably not working out that great just yet, not that it won't, but probably not that great just yet for a lot of reasons. Number one, if you're a serial fundraiser and most real estate oriented people are serial fundraisers, they do these things over and over again, then you're gonna develop a database and you're gonna build the tools that you need to be successful, raising capital, running your fund, finding leads, doing all the things that you're supposed to do. But so far, most of us are not that great at those things. And so far, most of us don't have a great place to take our deals to, and why not? There's a couple of reasons. There's a bunch of platforms that are out there. There were several hundred of them, and I think that now shrunk down to under a couple hundred, and word is that it's getting smaller week by week because these platforms are really hard to operate. This is, uh, this is not a technology business. This is a real estate, real estate lending. It's a money business. It's a people business. It's a selling business. I mean, I syndicate, uh, or my fund at least, we buy distressed assets. We have a portfolio of distressed notes. We have an REO portfolio. Uh, We're building housing units all over the country. So we're doing a lot of different things. But it's not happening because we have great computers that are calling all sorts of shots. I mean, I'm in the same business as you. I don't lend money, I buy assets. But it's the same thing, because I control a pool of assets. I'm a money manager, and so are you. And by the way, the first thing that you realize when you come to this business is I'm not in the real estate business anymore and you're not in the lending business. What business are we in? We're in the money business. And when you start thinking of yourself in the money business, what you're gonna realize is you're gonna start making a lot more dough. So you go to some of these platforms and you say, here's the deal, would you please fund my deal? Would you basically broker some money to me? 99% of the time they're gonna say no. In fact, if you look at the websites, they brag about a 99% decline rate. Who does that? I mean, who, I mean, really, you know, do you put on your website, we decline 99%, don't even bother? That's pretty much what they do on their websites. And they've got a formula you know, that, uh, that they like. They say, if it's got hair on it, we won't do it. If it didn't have hair, would they need any of you, really? If they had all the cash in the world, would they need you, would they need me? They need little guys to solve problems with elbow grease, sweat, and all the other kinds of stuff that we bring to the table. But the platforms for the most part that are out there really are not in sync with, uh, with what it is that most of us do. We make our money on hairy deals, that's just what it is. So let me give you a couple of basics about how this business works. The crowdfunding business in general, it's a cool business, it's a great business, and in fact it's gonna be uh, more substantial than you can probably imagine not long from now. First, I want you to know it's real. Uh, One of the big platforms just announced they crossed over $200 million in fundings. Uh, I know that uh, there's another gentleman here, who's a good friend of mine, uh, that does lending. Uh, They're doing, uh, well, they just crossed over 100 and they're on their way to doing uh, enormous volume here pretty quick. Let me um, make a suggestion or a projection, and that is that this won't be called crowdfunding for very long. I think pretty soon, instead of calling it crowdfunding, it's just going to be called funding, because this is how it's going to be done. Is go online, people look at things, and then they buy them. That doesn't mean that they don't talk to anybody, by the way. I think this is a high-touch business. I think that the, the job of the internet is to put two people together so they can talk. But the internet does a great job of bringing investors and promoters together, buyers and sellers, employers and employees, bringing them together. They still have to talk. I don't think you take the... Uh, human part out of it. I think a lot of the technology people would like to see the people fall out of it because we just kind of get in the way. But for the most part, most of us who have clients that are 45 to 65 years old, they want to talk to us. They want to have lunch with us. They want to see us when we're traveling in their city. And I don't think that's ever going to change. You know, 20 years ago when Amazon was born, it was very foreign to go online, put your credit card in there and have something shipped out to your house. You remember that, how awkward that was 20 years ago? Some of you were babies 20 years ago, but for the rest of you, you probably remember that it was very awkward. And now, most of us prefer the self-service concept of going online and buying something ourselves because somebody in a foreign country doesn't misspell our name, they don't get our address uh, improper, things don't get shipped the wrong way, everything is controlled, we do everything just right. We pick our credit card, we have files, everything is done just right. And that's what we prefer. So the same way that it took us a little while to get used to buying books on the internet, it's gonna take people just a little bit of time to get used to investing money on the internet, though they're already doing it with E-Trade. And as an aside, this may surprise you. The private securities business and everything that's Reg D, 506, private placements, those are all private securities. The private securities business is as big as the public securities markets in the, in the United States. There was about a trillion and a half dollars of originations in private securities last year and about the same amount in public securities. And that's because almost all the deals that are done are real estate deals and they're big. So we don't get a lot of play but it's real and it's big and people are getting used to it. So the concept of private placements or private is gone. We can now talk about our private placements, unless you're operating under the old rules and you need to get some attorney advisement about that if you are. So let's talk about these platforms and and where you can go to get some help. Most of the people who run these platforms are not real estate people. And we heard earlier today how important it is that real estate people be in charge of real estate deals. Many of these companies are venture backed. Now, I don't know if you've ever been affiliated with venture companies. I was in the venture business for 18 years, so I know what this is. And there's a lot of pressure. Perform or we're taking your company away from you. So that makes them even more fierce in terms of taking their deals. It also gives them a lot of power, by the way, in terms of what kinds of, uh, what kind of terms they get from you. They're gonna take their pound of flesh one way or another. They're not looking for hairy deals, they're looking for low-hanging fruit. They're looking for something so that they can get in, show that it works, sell, and be done. Well, pretty much, that means that everybody who's in this room is probably not gonna be successful going to most of the platforms, for the most part. They want easy cash flow. They're not looking for big yield. They're not looking for eight, 10, 12, 14, for the most part, uh, six or eight probably enough they're just kind of trying to prove their proof of concept sell their company move on and go to the next situation and for the most part most of them will not fund funds so that's another thing that would be problematic for most of us most of those guys are also using a formula they called curating where they pick well that's also problematic to me uh, my concept is not about picking who am I to tell you what loan to do. I'm not in the loan underwriting business. If you're doing something for 20 years, I imagine you're probably good at it. So our concept is curating deal makers, not curating deals. If you ever seen a movie about the stock market, one of the things that, uh, that you'll always laugh about is there's the big boss who gets on the horn first thing in the morning and he says, all right, all you brokers. Call your best customers, we got a big load of bad stock, we got a big inventory, sell it to your best customers, whoever sells the most gets a prize. Y'all seen that movie? We all, that movie plays over and over again, right? Stockbrokers were so bad at picking stocks that by the mid 1990s, they, they aren't even allowed to sell stocks anymore. Now what happens is stockbrokers take your money, they give it to a trust company of some kind, they set up an allocation and then this, the trust company moves the money around. You follow me? That's the way it works. So these technology people that run these platforms somehow think that they're better at picking deals than we are. And I can't possibly imagine that that's true. Now I can imagine in a lending environment that there are algorithms that could pick loans, but if you're borrowing money, or if you're taking money in as equity, there's no chance that that could could work out. All right, because I believe that the art of the deal depends on the deal maker. And if you guys are building funds and you're taking money in for funds, then that money is really it's your equity money, and then you're relending it out based on your skill set. So then you might think, well, gee, I'd like to start my own platform, because I believe that it's important to have a uh, a platform so that I can raise money and all my stuff. This is really this is it's expensive. It's very expensive to do this. Much more difficult than you think, and consequently. Uh, there's a huge failure rate. Most of the guys that started this three years ago or gone out of the business, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's probably not your core business to do this anyway. And consequently, uh, probably not a great use of your time. But it's still something you do wanna have the opportunity to monetize your network. Don't kid yourself, it is very, very important to build your LinkedIn network, to build whatever kinds of platform you have. And crowdfunding, or this new lead generation concept is the way that you're gonna monetize that. So what have we done to make this happen? Number one is I've got hundreds of syndicators that are kind of part of my network. Those are my friends, hundreds of guys that have funds. Any of you guys that have funds, come see me uh, because we've got a big network of guys, that's all we do. All of us are raising money and doing that. And when we start talking about how could we take advantage of crowdfunding, My idea was, listen, why don't, instead of going to a platform and having them try to raise it, which they'll turn us down, and instead of, uh, you know, you set me your own crappy little company and you set up a shitty little company and you have a terrible little company, why don't we all put our money together in a pot and build one king size engine and set up something that's great? And that's what we did. And we now have, it's been uh, just under a year or so, and we've got 53 companies now that are part of our, co-op on the way to 100, 200, 500, maybe more. So I take those uh, 50 guys and I go to a broker dealer on the East Coast. And I said, listen, uh, if I went there by myself and I said, listen, I've got, uh, I'm going to be doing $5 million in deals. They would laugh me out and send me packing. But when I came there and said, I got 50 guys and we're going to do about a quarter of a billion dollars in business over the next period of time. All of a sudden there was a lot of enthusiasm and we got razor thin pricing, and we got very, very cool services that none of us by ourselves could ever get. So that's our concept, is creating a co-op where we all own the machinery for the crowdfunding, where we all share in certain kinds of benefits. Everybody owns the stock, we all own the databases, we own everything together, and we anticipate this will be a profitable company, so we all share in profits too. So it's a, uh, it's a very cool arrangement. Nine of us went to dinner last night. Uh, you know, of the, of the 50 people, there's about uh, nine of them were here and we're all hanging together. Uh, as we travel around the country, many of us are very good friends, we know each other. Uh, we welcome some of you guys who are uh, either running funds, about to run funds. It doesn't matter what attorney you're working with. If you're working with Leonard and John, that's fine. If you're working with somebody else, if you've got your fund, that's a prerequisite. You have to have a structure to come with us, because you don't crowdfund real estate and you don't generally crowdfund notes, although I know those guys do crowdfund single notes. But for the most part, you don't crowdfund real estate. You put the real estate into an LLC and then you crowdfund the shares of the LLC. Now that doesn't sound like a big deal, but that putting the real estate into an LLC and selling shares is what makes it not a real estate transaction, but a securities transaction. So it's all the difference in the world. If you want some more information about how this works, uh, go to InvestorValet, sign up as a promoter, InvestorValet.com, uh, just register as a promoter, we'll get you some more info. Uh, this is the Alpha site. We just, It just opened up here in the last couple of days. Every week over the next several weeks, more stuff's gonna be coming out. The first deals are gonna go on the platform. We're just lining the guys up now who's gonna go first. Uh, So over the next uh, couple of months, the first deals are gonna come out. Our goal is to have a very robust platform of all kinds of guys that do all kinds of deals. And the bottom line is, if you'd like to be part of what we're doing because you wanna raise money, because you wanna be part of uh, this cutting edge arrangement, I spent a lot of years in the venture capital business and I'm not missing this deal for sure. This is a big one. I feel it, I know it, and it's gonna be uh, extraordinary. And if you're working with Leonard and Leonard says, let's build a fund, and you say, where am I gonna get the money from? Leonard's gonna tell you that uh, join our team, build your fund, join our team, and you'll have the whole package all set up and ready to go.
3: Joe Block, you rule buddy. Huh? Am I right? Am I right? You're the man. Thanks, man. You're the man, and I love the tie. Thank you. I actually liked the tie last time a little better. A little better? I liked the last one, it was a little tell wilder. You what,
5: when's your birthday?
3: March 30th, 1952. Okay. Unfortunately,
5: I would have given you a birthday present before. I, now I got to wait a whole another ten. That's months.
3: okay. That's but, all right. Thank you, my friend. If they
5: go out of stock, I won't be able to get you one. But if they're in stock, are they
3: be as good as those socks right there?
5: Actually, well, that's pretty cool. But uh,
3: wait, wait. Show them with the with yeah. the.
5: Yeah, I dig on that. Isn't that
3: cool? I see that, that Joel <laughs> Black written, written all over that baby. Well, listen, we'll work
5: it out, man. Hey, Thanks, Leonard.
3: Go to his go to his booth, do business with Joel. He's the real deal. Look, raising investment capital with foreign investors. Nobody knows this space better than Dr. David Owen. Nobody, nobody knows it better than David Owen. David and Owen, and I have a relationship that goes back years. He introduced me yesterday. Some of some of his team, and he said. Leonard is the man that got me started. Well, I may have been the guy that gave you the ideas and the concepts, but you, sir, are the one that took it and ran with it. You are the real deal. David Owen, is, I have tremendous respect for him. Uh, this is, I'm real curious, not curious, I'm really interested in listening to this. This is a different presentation than he gave the last time. It's very different because I get phone calls all the time on how do you raise investment capitals from you know people outside the country and that's not my expertise it just is not I mean if you ask me about raising capital in the country there's tremendous liquidity and so forth but David's going to Dubai Kuwait Saudi no you're going to Saudi oh you're going to uh, to where oh Shanghai you're going to Singapore it's the real deal. Give him a warm welcome, Mr. <laughs> Dr. David Owen.
6: I tripped on that while here.
3: Doing jiu would have been a forward roll. You just tuck it and roll. I haven't learned but that yet. I understand But I'm that. going to
6: Brazil soon, so but maybe I, I learn it. <laughs>
3: yeah, you will learn a lot of things in Brazil, Dave. Whatever. Okay. I got this one. Oh, you got that? Yeah. Other one. Okay. Well, thank you, Leonard. All
6: right. Um, actually, in 2007, I received one of his emails. I don't know how I got on his email list, um, but I did. And it interested me. And I thought, what is this? So we went to a couple of pit bulls and engaged him in 2008. Now we have four funds that we manage, and we're bringing on, Matt, six more before the end of the year, six more funds. We'll have 10 under management by the end of this year. So let me tell you a little bit about me, if I can figure out which one of these to push. The one on the right. Right, and that's what I'm pushing. (laughs) Aim it towards you. Yeah. Hey, you know, hey, we talk about it. I mean, I have nine employees, and my newest one is our chief, um, we call him our, oh, no, our chief, okay, our chief technology. Oh, it's not working. See? Our oh. chief technology officer. We
3: have, we have a technical issue. <laughs> we'll get it there. It's my energy. No, you be
6: great. I think you may have. It um, oh, could be battery. Oh, oh we go. had I'm it scared. off. Wait, <laughs> there and, you go. Okay. All right, Don't here we go. <laughs> anyway, I had to hire a technology officer because I know nothing about technology. I'm 63 years old and I think I'm still back in the dark ages. But I can read, I can tell you that. Anyway, let's talk about, you know, you've heard about funds, you've heard about starting your own fund, you've, um, you talked about how to build a fund, how to market your fund. Let's do a little bit of graduate work, that's what I taught at University of Texas, is graduate courses. So graduate work for me is, how do you bring money in from overseas? So let's talk about that. This is a little bit about me. You really don't want to know that much about me, just what I have to say. But I also want to tell you that Joel's a really good guy. Um, we've been talking to him for a couple months now, and we may become one of his partners. So raising foreign capital through or raising, growing your funds through foreign capital. First thing you might want to do is, when you get your PPM set up, go ahead and have your securities attorney create a Reg S overlay to it. Regulation S allows a foreign person to invest directly into the United States without having to set up like an LLC here and get an EIN number in the United States. So go ahead and talk to your securities person. Inexpensive to do, a few extra thousand dollars, it depends on your your attorney, but talk to them and add that to your fund. By the way, um, Anoop, are you still here? Yeah, there he is. So Anoop works for one of my investors I've had for a few years, and they're so excited about this, they're actually creating an overseas fund just to put money into the United States. Anoop is here to meet other fund managers because they want to diverse their investments to many funds, because I don't think I could take in the volume of money that they're gonna raise in Singapore into just one single fund. So get your Reg Reg S overlay. The most important thing to a foreign investor is how they make money in the United States without having to pay taxes on the US side. Because it's very expensive, most of it's like 30% to them. So there's a little program called Portfolio Interest Tax Exemption. And what this program does is allows a foreign investor to invest in the United States, earn a fixed rate of return, like a note, that is is wired back to their overseas bank account, and it is considered tax-free on the US side. That is huge to a foreign person. Learn about that exemption. It's in the IRS code, it's buried way down, but you can find it. Talk to a corporate attorney. Some securities attorneys know about it. We're gonna talk about what you need to do for that that program if you uh, decide to go into it. But it's very easy to do to add to your fund. And then of course, EB-5 visa program. We're really big into that and I'll go through that in a moment. But let's talk about portfolio interest. So it's tax-free for them. It offers flexibility to fund more deals because you're bringing in more capital. They're getting a fixed rate of return on the capital. So if you're making greater than that fixed rate, that's more yield to you as a fund manager or to the other investors in the fund. You have more capital to fund more deals, and the fund, the fund is going to earn a spread points and management fee on that fixed rate that comes in. The note or financial must be registered. That's real important. It must be registered, and there's certain language that has to go in to that note. So again, get with an attorney that understands the program. They can write that language into that note. That language protects the foreign investor from U.S. taxation. It also protects you, the fund manager, from having to hold back taxes, which is a problem in itself if you have to hold back taxes. And the income must be wired directly overseas. They cannot have a U.S. bank account. They cannot have an address in the United States. They cannot have an EIN number or a TIN number in the United States. The money must go from your fund directly overseas. Cannot land in a US bank. The program is so simple, so easy to do. It just takes a little bit of compliance and a little bit of administration and you'll have investors looking for you. Now, as Leonard said, we we do a lot of trade, we call them missions, trade missions. So I think this year still we're going to Shanghai, Singapore, Hong Kong, Beijing, Dubai, Kuwait, maybe Mumbai, India, definitely Brazil. And I think that's all we're gonna do this year. That's enough. At any rate, when we go, by the way, we also have real estate brokerage firms. So let's say you're a fund manager and you've got a really plum, or not necessarily plum, but a really good, income producing commercial property income producing commercial property no residential and you would like us to broker that to foreign investors get with one of my guys over there get their contact information they will give you our travel schedule you put together a one-page flyer on that property we'll take it over there and hopefully get it out of your portfolio for you Pardon me Now, what if you heard that A-list partners, if you're a developer or or borrower, what if you had our earliest partners could possibly deliver 100% financing at 6% interest plus points? You'd probably say what? Wrong? Show you the money? All right, I'm gonna show it to you. Ready? The EB-5 visa program. The overview of the program is real simple. Employment-based fifth preference is what EB-5 stands for founded in 1990 by the United States to encourage foreigners to invest into the United States. It allows an EB-5 investor to be fast-tracked on their green card program so they can get permanent residency in the U.S. They're going to make an investment of a minimum of a half million to one million dollars per project. That is determined by what's called whether it has a TEA status or not. Um, so. If it's, if it's a certain area that the, that local municipality has, de- has deemed that they want to create jobs in that little grid or that, that census area, then it's a half million dollar investment. If it's not in one of those, it's a million dollar investment. And so depending on the project's location will determine how much it is. You, it's not more than a half million, it's not more than a million, it's either half or a million. The other uh, fees to the EB-5 investor, they have to pay an immigration attorney. That's gonna be anywhere, depending on the attorney, 20 to 30, $40,000. Application fees, a regional center administration fee. One of our funds is actually a regional center. So we support our own EB-5 programs. The EB-5 investors pay a fee to our regional center, and the investors in that regional center, that's one of the income streams to that regional, to that security, and so our investors share in that income stream. Each investment must create 10 direct, indirect, or induced US jobs. How do they determine that? They have, we hire an economist that will look at our project, and they will calculate how many jobs that development or project's going to create. Now we stay in the 10 million to 100 million dollar space because that's underserved and no one else is in it. Most of your regional centers are the big, looking for the big giant loans. It must have a lifespan of three years or more because it takes a while for that EB-5 applicant to go through the immigration process and get their green card approved. So their money has to stay at risk and at play during that time period. Last year, um, they allowed 8,756 investors to participate in the EB-5 program. They allocate 10,000 visas a year for this program. It's a great program to get involved with. Um, so the application process is they submit an EB-5 project to the to the USCIS or we do. So if you're a developer or you're a borrower and you've got a project, you wanna build a shopping center, you wanna build a hotel, you wanna build a resort, you wanna build um, condominiums, apartment building, whatever it is, you bring the project to us like you're looking for funding. We underwrite it, we get our economist to look at it, he writes a jobs report, we get a business plan writer to write a business plan on it, and then we submit the application to the USCIS. Once we've submitted the application, it does not have to be approved, it just needs to have a file number, a document number saying that we can start working on it. Once we get that, then we start marketing that project to overseas investors. So uh, that takes about one to three months to build the application. It includes a business plan, the pro forma, the appraisal, developer bio, et cetera. Now the developer is underwritten not only by us, but also by the USCIS make sure there's no fraud. Um, other things that go into the package, there has to be a PPM. So every one of these projects has its own PPM, Private Placement Memorandum, because it is a security set up just for this one asset. That's why we're gonna have a number of them under management by the end of the year, is because every one of the projects has its own security, its own fund. The only people that can invest in the fund are the EB-5 investors. So we cannot mingle US investors with, with foreign investors. And all of that's submitted to the USCIS, and while they're basically dotting the I's and crossing the T's and looking at all of our documents, we're out busy marketing this to overseas investors. The real estate developer, the borrower, pays an application fee to the regional center and that includes legal fees, regional center management fees, application and filing fees. So we cover all of their fees out of the application that they, application fee that they pay to us. Then the EB-5 application team consists of your borrower, developer, your lender, which is gonna be probably you if you're, if you're a fund, or in our case, our regional center, a regional center that if it's not ours, whatever regional center you go to, and that management team of that regional center, the securities attorney that's involved creating the PPM just for those EB-5 investors, the immigration attorney, the economist, and your business plan writer. That's the team that moves that one project through the system and gets it working. The fundraising process, once once it's been submitted, we can start raising funds of foreign investors the lender begins marketing in our case it's a regional center and we're contacting people brokers and in, in our network in other countries we tell them we're gonna be traveling over a certain period of time they set up a meeting of anywhere from 30 to 50 people we actually go with our immigration attorney about 80% of the conversation is about immigration and then the other 10 20% we get we're allowed to talk about our projects <laughs> he goes This is how the project works, and oh, by the way, you need to invest in a development, and here's David to tell you about the developments. So um, it's it's a two or three touch system. You sometimes have to go over there a couple times, meet with the same people, but every time we go and get an EB-5 investor, they have family members and members in their network who don't want to get involved in the EB-5 program, so they're interested in what? The portfolio enters tax exemption program, so every one of our trips is very lucrative for us. The investor must be credit accredited, just like here in the U.S. The, they review the business plan and the offering documents. They sign a subscription agreement and they transfer their funds. So the beauty of it is. You're able to offer real estate developers or borrowers a three to five-year loans. We charge our real estate developers and borrowers 6%. We're probably one of the very few that offers a really nice return to our investors. Nationwide, they make less than one-half of 1% on their money. We pay them 3%. I think we're, you know, so we're being very generous with them because we, again, we're building that long-term relationship with them because at the end of three to five years, they've got a half million to a million dollars. Where are they going to put it? In our fund. So we build that relationship with them to do that. Um, We stay in that 10 to $100 million range. That's our comfort level. Broker points. If you want to broker a deal, that's negotiable. We're not going to beat you up on your points. If you're worth one, if you're worth three, if you're worth four, like Sam Cum, then you know that's what you get. <laughs> exactly, you know. Remember back in my Remax days, decades ago when I was much younger, they would always say, "Well, I want to negotiate your commission." I said, "Great, I start at three percent and go up." And I still have that mentality now. So <laughs> I know what my worth is. I like that. Yeah, see, and it just—it's negotiation. Sure, I'll negotiate with you, but here's where my base is. Um, Pardon me? The floor, floor, that's right. We try to negotiate an equity piece for our EB-5 investors. Again, we want to spoil them and make them feel real good and make them make money while they're going through this immigration process. Again, that is unheard of by most national regional centers. They don't care that much about the investor. So the competitive edge is this your foreign investors are actually eager to invest in the United States. That you're gonna fund more deals using foreign capital. You're gonna make more money pulling in foreign capital, and if you add EB-5 to your capital stack, you're gonna close more development deals. So that's basically the, the gist of what I wanted to share with you. Again, oops, hi Wendy. I haven't met her yet, but she just, I've met her in the elevator. She's a lot of fun, real talkative and bubbly. <laughs> At any rate, um, again, this man in 2008 was my mentor. I engaged him as my mentor. So he is the reason that I exist. You know, he is really very good. And to this day, I still learn from him. I learned so, from you, my friend. <laughs> well, Steve the student becomes the teacher. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> At <laughs> any rate, thank you for your time. I will be over there with my team if anyone wants to talk to us. Enjoy your day.
3: Terrific, thank you so much. We got, got careful down? here.
6: Careful. Yeah. It was that that got me. <laughs> oh, it was that that got you? Yeah.
3: Oh, okay, everybody, careful. Wendy Sweet, come on down. Wendy Sweet from Carolina Hard Money. Let's give her a big hand. What? No break, no break, no break, no break. Walter, we'll, bro, we're gonna break right before the round table discussion group. Would you like to stand or would you like to I'll sit? I'd like to stand. Well, i like to stand. I would. You know, I was in the Army in North Carolina. Were you really? Yes, I was, Fayetteville, North Carolina.
7: woo the armpit of the, well, yeah, very <laughs> nice town.
3: Well, I'm just saying, I actually had a lot of fun down there. But uh, not as fun as these guys with the money suits. Thank you. All right, so tell me, in 19 words or less, what's Carolina
7: hard money? I'm sorry, but that can't be done. Well, I thought you were going to ask done. me if I look like Brad Pitt. No no, like every, no, no, that's old. No, that's that's AJ's do that. shtick. <laughs> what I what I'd like to do is I'm not here to pitch anything. Um, we're we're always here to beg 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 for bucks when we're here. But what I really want you to do when you finish listening to me is I hope you'll be more educated my goal is to help you be a better lender Um, i've made plenty of mistakes there's lots of pile of poo out there that you can step in i've stepped in a lot of it had to clean up a lot of shoes and i'd like to keep you from having to step in the same piles of poo that i have so i'd like to tell them a little bit about my company if i can and and then i'm going to tell you what to do and what not to do what's helped us a little bit if that's okay um, <laughs> yes, yes, that's yes. what I was looking for. Oh, great, great. Good, I'm in the right place then. So we are lenders in, in North and South Carolina. We loan money only in those two states because it's our backyard. And we like to know our market. We feel much safer when we're lending on houses that we know that market like the back of our hand. So what we do is we lend to to builders. And we also lend to rehabbers. We call it high-end in our market when it's between $200,000, $250,000 in a loan. That's big money for us. I'm sure it's probably not in California and Arizona and places like Nevada. Um, But in our area, that's a a pretty big loan. That's our sweet spot. That's what we like to do. So we lend up to 70% of the after-repaired value. Now, what that means is is we'll lend them all the money to buy it and all the money to fix it up as long as they're under that 70%. And people say, well, wait a minute. Don't you require that they, you know, put some skin in the game, put some money out of their pocket? That's not something we're so concerned about. We're more concerned about their ability to pay the loan back. And we're going to underwrite the, the loan. We're going to underwrite the asset just as hard as we underwrite that borrower. So there's a couple of things I wanted to, to mention too about where what I like about being a lender. How many people in this room are lenders now or wanting to be? We've got a lot of people wanting to lend money or lending money. And, you know, we talked about while we've been up here, there's been a lot of mention about funds, um, starting a fund, uh, the syndication, the crowdfunding, all of that is really, really exciting. And, and it's it's. It is difficult to do, but anybody can do it if you really do your homework. What we did first, though, is we like to establish a track record, and we've been loaning other people's money for almost 15 years. Don't wait that long before you start a fund. I wouldn't recommend it, but I would recommend that you get a track record started first, and anybody can be a lender. Um, We just got off a cruise with Quest IRA. Anybody here of Quest IRA? They're a custodian for... for, uh, your self-directed funds, they have, I think he said, $432 million of money that they're the custodian over. That, that's a lot of money, isn't it? That's a whole lot of money. And most of them are people that have $100,000, $300,000 in their IRA. They're not all accredited. In fact, most of them probably aren't but those are people that are dying to put their money to work and that's the kind of money that we used for years to start our hard money lending company and it established our track record and from there we were able to start a fund and it was wonderful that we were able to do that and have a track record to go by. But one of the things that I think we all need to be concerned about is how we underwrite loans and I made a couple of notes, you know, we talked about, I think it says some of the five five big mistakes um, was one of my introduction. There's way more than five mistakes that a lender can make. Ask me how I know. All
3: right. Well, let's start. Let let let's do this because <laughs> you don't Give me one.
7: Okay. The first one. Yes. The first one is you need to look at every house as if you're going to take it back. Nobody's going to come to you for a loan with the intention of never paying you back. They all all have that intention, but bad things happen to good people all the time. So when we look at a deal, we look at every deal as if we have to take it back. Do we want this in our portfolio? The other thing that we do is we always really vet the borrower just as hard as we vet that asset. Um, We had Appraisal Nation talking about how important appraisals are. They're really, really important to us. A lot of people will just do BPOs, but we do an appraisal and the thing that we look at the most on the appraisal is the days on market. We want to see how fast we can sell that house when we have to take it back. All right, what's number two? That was number two. All right, what's number I'm three? I'm all the way to number three. All right. So we all, we, uh, well, wait a minute. That was number three, two. Number 32 or three, two? Three, two. It was number one, number two, all and all number right, three. So we I'm talked clear, about the board. I'm because I'm a little slow. Who's on first? Uh, uh, what's on second? Uh, that's right. I don't know. What's number one? Number one? Is every house is a take back number two you want to vet the borrower and the asset number three is you also want to pay close attention to the days on market number four is you better be tight on that rehab money don't give it out like candy so many people will release money based on just pictures that they see I can assure you that pictures look way better Than it does in person. And you can take a really good shot and leave things out that they shouldn't, that you don't wanna see. Be very careful about the money that you release. Not only what work's been done, but you also wanna see what work's left to be done. Because you always have to have enough money in that budget to finish that house when you have to take it back. See, I keep going back to that. And my final one if you are lending money to a new borrower, hold their hand. Hold their hand and walk them through that deal. People don't like working with newbies, but I'll tell you what—we were all new at one point, weren't we? All right, well, let me ask you this: So you're
3: you're doing business with an experienced investor?
7: Yes. Okay. The majority of them are yes. All right, well, let,
3: whatever. We have experienced investor over here. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you continue to do business with them. Everything is fine. Now you do business with. Somebody who's the a novice. new guy. Okay. New kid on the block. Mm-hmm. And you say you're going to hold her hand. Do you charge them more because of their lack of experience and lack of track record?
7: Well, that is a great question oh, that you've well, that's asked, Leonard. that's what I paid for is great <laughs> questions. Actually, when we do a first time deal for anybody, whether they have experience or not, we do charge five points. When they've come back to us a second time, we'll reduce that to four points, mm-hmm. or we'll let them pay two and a half when they buy the house and two and a half when they sell that house. So yeah, we do we do charge a little bit more, but my philosophy is I I want you to be successful if you're a new investor. I want them to be successful because I don't wanna do just one loan. I wanna do them all, and I can't do that if they're not in business. So I do everything I can to guide them and make sure that they're making the right decisions you know should that bathroom stay in that position you remember the the days of your houses when your bathrooms I think it was in the 80s when your bathrooms didn't have any doors and the sink was outside the bathroom do you remember that they're hideous floor plans and and we want to make sure that a new investor is coming in and changing that little floor plan
3: why is it that there are not more women in this business?
7: Oh, let's see. What would be a good question for that?
3: I don't know, I'm looking for an answer, actually. <laughs>
7: That's right, an answer. It's because I, I can't think of one. You
3: know, it's interesting because I said at the beginning of the event, I said we need more ladies mm-hmm. in our industry. I want more ladies on our roundtable discussion group. I want more ladies to... To be interviewed, mm-hmm. I want more women represented in the marketplace. I sound like Hillary Clinton, but and your little dog too. Yeah, and a little dog too. I'll get campaign you my slogan. little pretty. Yeah, her campaign but, slogan. But my point is, is that <laughs> uh, it's nice to see that there's a real live lender from the female persuasion that's in this industry, and we welcome that.
7: Well, thank you. Yeah. I'm glad to be here. I, I think I think a lot of women. Um, in this industry might be a little bit intimidated because it has been such a good old boys for years for, for a very very long time um, but in the, the circles that I'm in I see a lot of women involved in it uh, on the on the borrowing side on the borrowing side and the lending side really yes a lot more lot more business owners I'm seeing a lot
3: how do people get in contact with you
7: you can reach me at BR549 no we are at that booth wave. There's my my brother and my partner, Bill Fairman, back there at Carolina Hard Money. Um, But you can reach us at info at carolinahardmoney.com. We would love an opportunity to talk with you, help you become a lender. If you're interested in it, I'll spend some time with you, tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly, and um, get you started as well. Or you can choose to take the easy way out. Take the best seat at the table and invest in our fund. Oh, I like that. Or you can invest with our one offs. We can do it either way. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen. Thank you.
3: Wendy Sweet, Carolina Hard Money. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, you. Was, hey, Thank hey. you. All right. Uh, we have two more one on ones. We take a break, round table. And you know what they say in Vegas? Cocktails, cocktails. We have cocktails on our dirt. We are officially in the home stretch. OK? We are officially in the home stretch. And I'm going out for a big boy steak tonight, Just saying, if you want to join me, you're all welcome, and it's on you. Uh, Ross Hamilton, come on down. Yeah, come a little. Okay, so Ross is with, that's another one. Hey, have a nice trip? Hey, good, I'm glad you did. Are you mic'd up? Okay, well then we'll use this. Tell a little story about Ross Hamilton. Ross is uh, with uh, Connected Investors. He has probably a better database in terms of quality than I do. Well, I I have never said that before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when he sends out an email campaign, especially in the Florida event, are you more more Eastern-focused? You know, my
8: database is really where real estate is. Florida, Arizona, California, those are where most of my database is, is located because of all the deals out there.
3: How many connected investor guys? Raise your hand. All right. Connected yeah, got a investor few. guys. Oh, okay. That's so good. a bunch. Yes, okay, but, there was th- but there's actually considerably more at the Florida event.
8: Yeah 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 out of east coast
3: east coast
8: funny a uh, funny thing about my database Wendy her old partner um, came to my local RIA Real Estate Investment Association and said you gotta build a database the same type of thing you were saying yes and I was about 19 years old and I was like that's what I need and uh, yeah. yeah 10 well, you years we did now. a really good job yeah. with you. it thank you
3: all right so Wendy went answer this question because she said it was impossible 19 words or less tell me what a connected investors is
8: Connecting investors is a social. Oh, 19 words.
3: Yeah, 19 words. Are it's where you it. connect with
8: investors. It's a social network of over 250,000 members that use our platform to connect with each other, investment opportunities, and now capital. And that's All why right. I'm here.
3: All right. So tell. More than when, 19. When you say capital, tell me about that.
8: Yeah, absolutely. So we recently partnered with LendingTree to create a platform to match asset-based lenders with high-intent borrowers, people who are looking to borrow on real estate investments. So lenders just set up their preferences with us and then when our members need funding, they fill out a form and they get matched up with lenders. We match people up with RCN, with Patch of Land, with Anchor and uh, we've been out. Quarter one, we did over a billion dollars in applications and actually just yesterday we did I actually wrote down the stats cuz it was we did 83 million in applications over 100 applications from 30 states uh, yesterday alone so we're really starting to pick up steam.
3: No, that's huge. Yeah. And out of the applications how many actually turned into something?
8: All of them. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's different depends on the lender. Yeah. And they're So uh, you they're you
3: farm them out to the lenders. Yeah. yeah. So if you're a lender you probably want to be hooked up with Connected Investors.
8: Yeah. Well, CIX, the Connected Investors Exchange, is the lender side of things. Our booth is right over there. You can check out CIX.com.
3: And, and do you lend your – does Connected Investors lend yourself? No, we're not lenders. So you're, yeah. you're a conduit.
8: Exactly. We're just like LendingTree. Yes. Essentially, to we, just connect, we just connect people.
3: Okay. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. All right. Hmm. That, I didn't know that. Well good. Uh, As Ed McMahon said, I did (laughs) not know that, Johnny. Yeah. Um, Okay, so what does it cost to be part of your team, to be part of the the social network?
8: Uh, The social network's free. It's like LinkedIn. Right, we have a pro account. A lot of people pay for the pro account to become a lender. uh, We verify you because there's a lot of lender fraud out there. So we have to turn down 99% of the lenders who try to sign up. Really? Uh, Yeah, a lot of lender fraud out there. So our network's all verified lenders, good people who are actually closing on loans. So we're solving that problem too, because we have such a big social network. We see all the scam artists that come through there, and we spend way too much time chasing those people down and getting them out of the network. So when someone goes through CIX.com, they get matched with a lender who's ready, willing and able to lend on the type of deal that they have. And are these mostly rehab deals? Yeah, about 70% of our deals are rehab. And the other 30? You know, we have a lot of landlord loans, um, some construction, development. You're and doing then
3: small balance commercial?
8: Yeah. And then also uh, a lot of refinances came through yesterday, about 13%.
3: Refinance of commercial Ref- properties? Yeah,
8: refinance for uh, landlords. Okay. Yeah, fix and flip to landlord.
3: And so, are you looking for investment capital?
8: No, we're, I mean we're we were self-funded, but we're we're a pretty darn profitable company. We're looking for more lenders that want to get connected with you know high-intent borrowers.
3: So, uh, who's who's a lender here that's not hooked up with connected investors right now? All right. Let me see. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like there's a few people that need to go over and talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. What's the name of the website? Well, the lenders should go to cix.com. Cix.com. Yeah,
8: Cix.com. Yeah, check that out. It says, lenders, join our network in the top right. Put your preferences in, and then we'll be, uh, we'll be in touch. Good. Yeah. Thank you. All right.
3: I appreciate it. Thank Absolutely. you, Ross. Okay, our last one-on-one. HeyYoram.com. Yoram, come on up. Hey, Yoram. Hey, Yoram. Hey, Yoram. Where's Yoram?
9: Oh, there he I is. I don't trust that right. side. I don't so, I don't need that. Thank you. Oh, you don't need it.
3: Okay, so uh, Yoram and I uh, were introduced because we were involved in a uh, fundraising project together. Our kids go to the same school. And within 15 minutes, we both knew that we needed to connect. Not only on a personal level, but we shortly after that on a professional level. And so that's how it started. Um, and uh, Yoram, is your new website up? It's up. HeyYoram.com. Two wise, Two wise. HeyYoram.com. Tell me what you do. Give me the 19 words or less. Can you do 19 words or less?
9: You're gonna close more deals. You're gonna close more deals because? Well, you're gonna close more deals because you will be proficient in the art and science of creating relationships and closing business.
3: Closing business, so your concept of what you provide is to help lenders, investors, borrowers
9: sell more product and services. Well, it, it depends on what the deal is. Okay, tell Either me. way, you're, well, you're here in, in, in the middle, right? You have a fund. You need investors in order to have that fund funded. Yes. You need borrowers in order to use that money You can't even have them imbalanced. If you have too much of one of them, the whole thing falls over. So your ability to increase your fund, your ability to make more business, make more money, actually hinges on your ability to get these people to say yes as you find an eligible prospect to be an investor or a borrower, whether they come to you or you find them, get them to say yes and close that deal. Now, You know, and I know that if we talk to 10 people, they're not all going to say yes. Some of them are going to say no, and we can salvage some of that. Tell me how. Well, here's the deal about sales. In sales, you need to know what you're saying, right? I think so. I see people nod their head. It's also important to know what to say and when you say it. In other words, the sequencing is very important. There are questions you don't wanna ask. There are things you don't wanna say from the get-go. You need to know in which order to say what you're saying. And then you need to be heard. And you touched on this, Leonard, many, many times today. You said you need, people need to be present rather than in their head thinking about what to answer, why you're right or why you're wrong. They need to actually hear you. And the fourth part is you need to figure out what's going on inside of your head. And what's going on inside of your head while you're speaking to somebody? You must have seen that in, in your tournaments, in jiu-jitsu, right? Of course. So I'm a,
3: uh, a lender, or I'm a broker. I come to you and say, Yoram, I need to get more sales. Is that what they say?
9: That's what they say.
3: Okay. They all say that. Uh, they all say that, <laughs> okay. Then what, tell me, tell, give me the, the Reader's Digest version. What ha- What do you teach them?
9: You know, people do business with me because they like me and they trust me. And when I'm done doing business with them, other people likes them and trust them more than they had before. It really comes without sounding too much Santa Barbara about it. It, it really comes from being very, very true to who you are, true to your word, because it carries. You know how much out of our com- communication is verbal and how much is nonverbal? Well, there's a lot nonverbal. Nonverbal is 92% well, of the impact well, you know of your they communication. Well, you know what they say that when
3: people give statistics uh, on stage, 87% of the time they make up the, sp- the statistics as they speak. That was 78. i <laughs> That
9: was 78.
3: <laughs> okay, so you help them get more centered, you help them understand the client's profile and
9: and you help them what? All right, I'll help them two things. All right, one. Re- remember all these times where you're sitting in front of somebody, they talk a good talk, but something in your heart actually goes, that's off. Mm-hmm. And you say, you know, I hear you, but I'm gonna sit that one out. You know, it happens in the reverse too. And there are people sitting across from you saying, I'm gonna sit that one out, and we have no clue when that happens. We go, I don't know what I did wrong. I said everything right, I got all the statistics, I have credentials, I I have history, I have everything, and yet this person won't do business with me. Where this sits is in what's important to them. It's in their personality, it's in their preferences, it's in their own psyche, which you need to understand, you don't have to be a psychologist, you just have to be, like you said, by the way, a good listener, but understand what you're hearing. Understand what they're not saying. Understand whether they want the safety of their investment. Maybe they want to know that they can call you outside of business hours. Yes. Maybe they want to know that maybe they do want the, the data. Maybe they just want to hand it over and forget about it and you do it for them. But if you start from the wrong thing, if you start from what they don't want, they just put you in a box with other people who say the same and go, ah, oh, I'm done. That's so not my guy. So, your
3: training, I want to be clear on this, your training is helping somebody increase their sales dramatically. Absolutely. That's, that's the bottom line, help them increase their sales dramatically.
9: Leonard, you give me a day, you're going to get the best year of your life in business.
3: Ooh, strong comment.
9: Just saying. Strong comment. Yoram, how do people get in touch with you? You go to heyyoram.com. Two wise. Two wise. Um, I'm over there, right by my booth. Great. Y'all gonna be gonna here be, for the cocktail and hors d'oeuvres? I'm going to be the last booth
3: standing. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, heyyoram.com. <laughs> really Thank good. you. Really good. Really um, We have some giveaways, but here's how we do that. We're gonna take a break and we'll be back in 15 minutes. We're gonna do the round table discussion group, 15 minutes, we'll see you then.